Welcome to With Heart and Wonder. This is a place for us to explore heart-centered living and to celebrate what it means to live with wonder, with awe and appreciation for the possibilities that are within us and around us. I'm Megan Johnston, and I am truly so honored and excited that you are here. Let's dive in and journey together. Welcome to episode 54 of With Heart and Wonder. I'm your host, Megan, and as always, it is just such a gift. I have so much gratitude for the fact that we get to share this space together. And in today's episode, we're joined by the incredible Katie Hooks. This episode is all about social anxiety. And Katie shares her own journey into realizing that she was experiencing social anxiety and then how she went about putting together a protocol for herself to start to untangle the web of effects that social anxiety was having on her life, her health, and her well-being. What's super cool about this episode, um, and it might sound counterintuitive, but Kitty talks a lot about how social anxiety is not actually to do with our relationship with other people, but it's really to do with our relationship with ourselves, particularly our beliefs about ourselves and our beliefs about our own enoughness. Welcome, Katie. I am so thrilled to have you here today and so excited to be sitting down with you. Thank you. I am so excited to be here, too. This is just the bee's knees. <laughs> what a treat to have you. I, um, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to talking about social anxiety today, which is your area of expertise. And I thought that we could actually just get started because I... I imagine that some people listening will, you know, have a really clear picture of what social anxiety is or maybe even um, identify with that label of feeling like they experience social anxiety. But I'm sure there's a lot of other people who maybe don't have a clear picture in their mind of of what social anxiety is and what it looks like and what it feels like. And I thought we could just start there. That would be great. Yeah. And it's so funny that you say that because when I was going through this, I probably had social anxiety my entire life and I didn't know that I had it until I was halfway through overcoming it. Okay. So I knew that I had all these like weird kind of symptoms and behaviors and feeling states and sensations around other people, but I had no idea that it was the label social anxiety. That it amounted to anything. Yeah, exactly. I just thought that I had anxiety okay. in general, because I think once it gets to a certain point when you've had it for so long that you tend to feel anxious all the time. Okay. But for, for many of us, the root of it is, is around your relationship with other people. So for me, when I experienced the height of my social anxiety, I felt really uncomfortable with who I was around other people. I was always so afraid of saying the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. I was obsessed with just 
when I was having a conversation with somebody, I was so worried that there was something in my teeth or something on my face or, you know, are they judging me right now? Do they like me? Oh, wait, they just did this weird look. Does that mean that I said the wrong thing? You know, like, am I a failure? I just had all these thoughts about not being good enough around other people. And I was always seeking validation. I always needed validation from other people, but it was never enough. Like no, like no matter how much validation I got, no matter if I got a compliment or not, I never believed it. Mm. And that's so much a part of social anxiety is just this pervading sense of being an outsider, of feeling like you can't be normal around other people, of just feeling overwhelmed with not enoughness. And for everybody that can affect them differently, um, the interesting thing about it is that it can lead to behaviors that are seemingly completely disconnected from your anxiety, <clears throat> like procrastinating, like you avoid doing things because you don't want to fail. Mm -hmm. You become a perfectionist. Everything that you do, you want to do it to like the absolute and degree of perfection because at the heart of it again like you're just afraid of failing or being humiliated um but you might not realize that that's what's going on you just know that you are procrastinating and you're a perfectionist and you're like am i just lazy like what is wrong with me and so social anxiety kind of spreads its fingers throughout your life in ways that are not very obvious if you don't know that what you have is social anxiety. Does that make sense? It does. And I love that um, that image of like the spreading of the fingers, almost like this web of of extending into all of these different areas. I feel like that is so powerful. Yeah. And that's exactly how it feels. Like when you're in it, it feels like you're just in this tangled mess mm. and it's like, before you know it, your life becomes something other than yours mm -hmm. and you're just stuck in it. And you're like, how did I end up here? How do I get out of this? Where do I even start? Like, how do you even begin to untangle this mess that has become your life? And I know for me that when I was in it, there was always this very quiet part of me that was like, this isn't right. Like, this isn't me. I know that I'm meant to be more than this. I know that I'm made for more than this, but I just have no idea how to get there. Okay. And I just find myself hitting these same walls over and over and over and over again. But when you're caught in the web, it feels impossible to move anywhere out of it. Yeah. Oh, that's, um, yeah, I feel like so many people can relate to the, to a lot of, of what you're saying, even, even if social anxiety is, is something that they don't identify with. But I think that, that feeling of feeling disconnect and that feeling and belief of, of not being enough. And I think those are things that we all experience in, in, mm -hmm. in, in just in different ways. And, um, and I think are, are so relatable. And I think it's really, I really loved that you shared that, you know, you actually didn't know you had social anxiety until you were partway through healing it. And 
on like a really personal note, I am, um, and I, I was thinking about this this morning actually before we sat down to chat is like, you know, that we can have an experience and and not know that there is a name for it. And like mm. for me, it's been, I've been dealing with, um, and, and my healing journey over the last little while, one of the things I've been dealing with is dissociation, which is um, like a, a particular phenomenon. And it, it you can experience it in different ways, but I had actually, once I learned that that was and had a name for it, I could then look back at my life and be like, wow, I've actually been experiencing this for a really long time. I just, I didn't know that it wasn't normal. Like I didn't know that it was, like I just thought it was a part of me, you know, not yeah. not necessarily this thing where there actually could be some healing. And so um, that like step around awareness is is so interesting. And I would love to know for you, like, can you walk us through a little bit of like how you kind of started to heal and uncover and like name that this was an experience that you were having? I was at the very pinnacle of having social anxiety, not knowing that that's what it was. And I began having panic attacks. Okay. And again, I didn't know that they were panic attacks. So the first time you have a panic attack, I don't know if you've ever had one. I have. <laughs> it's not pleasant. <laughs> it's not pleasant. And you typically don't know that's what's going on. You're like, oh, I'm just dying. Like that's what's happening right yeah. now. I'm just, I'm suddenly going to drop dead in about five seconds. Yeah. There goes my life, right? And the first time that I had one, it kind of spiraled into having multiple. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up living in this very heightened state of panic for months. And I thought that I was sick. I went to all these different doctors. I was trying to seek medical advice. I had to shut myself inside of my house. Like, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I thought I had Lyme disease. I was like, is there something neurological going on? Um, and it wasn't until, interestingly enough, I went to an acupuncturist. Okay. And she, she was like, okay, we're going to work on helping your nervous system. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. And in that session... I dropped into the deepest state of rest that I have ever been in Beautiful. ever. It was just this complete lack of worry. It was the complete lack of overstimulation. It was just, it was like swimming in the, the clearest, warmest, most wonderful waters. And it was in that state that I realized I have a major problem <laughs> with a dysregulated nervous system. And I also realized I have some really awful beliefs about myself and about who I am and about my self-worth. And I knew in that moment that th those were the two things that I really needed to heal. I needed to work on my nervous system and I needed to work on these beliefs about not being good enough. And that was when I went and started going back to the work and the education that I was doing, which was in yoga therapy, in mindfulness, in physiology, like breathing, breath work, and in mindset work. 
And I was like, I'm going to put together a program for myself to use in every instance of whenever these things are happening, I'm going to work on my nervous system. I'm going to work on my mindset. And so I basically dug out the most powerful tools that I had to, to do that. And they were working. I was finding myself calming down. I was finding myself feeling more at ease in my body. And I was really working on the mindset piece of like looking at my thoughts and which ones were not serving me. And it was in that part of my journey when I was able to kind of take a step back and look at all of the pieces of the puzzle of where do I see these things playing out? Like in what instances in my life are these things playing out? And it was all in relation to me and other people. It was all in relation to me connecting with others or not feeling worthy of being around other people or wanting to be as good as other people, comparing myself to other people. And that was the moment that I was like, could this be social anxiety? Like, Mm. could this possibly be what that is? Because before then I thought social anxiety was like, you get nervous when you're speaking on stage. Okay. You know, like you're just, you feel shy in a crowd of people. Like I just, I don't know. I just had this idea that social anxiety was this very like broad stroke kind of thing. And then I dug into it and I looked it up and I realized like, oh my God, like this is what I have been going through for years. And at the heart of it, like when we really look at what social anxiety is, it is a pervading sense of feeling like you're not enough. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. And that feeling of not enoughness creates this really awful cycle and dysregulation of thoughts, difficult emotions, a heightened nervous system, and behaving in a way that is not authentic to who you are. Yeah. And that's what starts to create that web around you of becoming somebody who you're not. Yeah, that's all pervasive because when you look at that, right? Like the thoughts, the behaviors, like that affects everything. That that yeah. that affects everything. Um yeah. And I mean, what really strikes me about um your work and your approach to social anxiety is that it is holistic in this sense of it is about the thoughts and the beliefs, especially around not being enough but that there is a really, really critical and like foundational importance of how that then affects our body and the physiology of our nervous system. And, mm-hmm. um, and I'd love for like, is there anything that you can, because before when you were telling us a little bit more about, you know, that experience of social anxiety and maybe being out and um, like the mind just constantly going like, is there something in my teeth? Oh, that person looked away. Did I, did I say something wrong? Or, um, but what about the embodied experience? Like what happens to the body with social anxiety? So it's a really, I think it's a very interesting thing that happens um, where 
you know, the brain and the body, the mind and the nervous system are so interwoven. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the stuff that happens in the mind, like the things that are more obvious to you, those like more conscious thoughts of like, is there something in my teeth? Like, do they like me? Am I okay here? Blah, blah, blah. That's just the very tip of the iceberg. And those are almost like the last thing that you need to work on to overcome your social anxiety. Like it's kind of like when you have a boat with a hole in it, you know, you can take a bucket and pour out the water, but until you fix the hole, the boat's still going to sink. And so the nervous system addressing the physical symptoms in the body are the first and the most important things that you need to do. Yeah. I think of it like the mind and your thoughts are a house and your nervous system, your body is the door and you have to unlock that door before you can enter the house. That's a beautiful image. I love, I've never heard someone describe it like that. I like it. Yeah. And it's, it's true. It's so true. Right. I mean, think about it. Like the whole, like, just think happy thoughts kind of thing. You're like, God, this is such bullshit because we have like 50,000 thoughts every single day. And the ones that are the most connected to us are the ones that create an activation in our physical bodies. It's the ones that actually feel true in our bodies. Those are the ones that become the beliefs that we have. So you can't just have a fleeting thought of like, everything is great because it, it means nothing to you, right? Mm -hmm. Your body's like, okay, yeah, I don't believe that for one second, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, so for me and for the program that I did for myself and for the, for the course that I ended up writing was you must address your junkie nervous system first and foremost Mm-hmm. before you do anything else. Like, don't even, don't even worry about the thoughts that you have. You will get to those eventually, but doing work to soothe that physical anxiousness is the, is the best thing that you can do. And sometimes you'll find that just by soothing that anxiousness, your thoughts don't become as powerful anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, because there's something to be said, right? When we're in that more agitated and frazzled state of the nervous system, when we're in that place of hypervigilance, we are a lot more reactive to things, right? Like, I mean, so my example is, and and I've been um, working through complex post-traumatic stress disorder lately. And so I actually have like a really heightened startle response. So the doorbell rings and I am screaming (laughs) and jumping up, you know, but there's moments when my nervous system is regulated where the doorbell rings and I'm fine. You know, it's so mm-hmm. dependent on on what has happened that day and what what's happening in my nervous system and have I engaged in the practices to to soothe myself and that completely changes my reaction to the doorbell. And yeah. the nervous system I think of so often is it is like we have all of these like um, stimuli in life, these things that are happening, and the our response 
is is completely dictated by how safe we feel in ourselves and in our environments and and so I love that you're talking about you know with with your program it's like let's not even get to the thoughts yet because if we're approaching the thoughts from a place where we don't feel safe like that's how how great is like is that even gonna really work you know like we're gonna struggle as opposed to like let's let's start by like creating a sense of like safety and and a sense of regulation and soothing i think that is is so potent and so powerful yeah and actually i think that if you try to do the work of changing your thoughts or just powering through before you address your nervous system you're actually going to make it worse yeah like when you have social anxiety you can't just power through it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you go online and there's all these people who are trying to motivate you to like, just get up and go, you know, just like pull yourself up by the bootstraps and get to work. And I tried that. That's what I did. And that's what actually made me the sickest. That's what actually s- sparked my panic attacks because mm-hmm. my nervous system was sending me these signals like, I am not okay. I am not okay. And I was like, well, too bad. We're just going to keep going because this is apparently the right thing to do. You just keep moving forward and build the business and, you know, just do the scary thing. But that can work for some people. But when you have a very dysregulated nervous system, you are, you are asking yourself for disaster really. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's too much. It's too much. It's way yeah. too much. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me think of, I don't know why this is the, like, I was thinking when you're talking about the messaging that we get, even just like the, like, you know, like put on an outfit you feel confident in. And like, you know, yeah. these, these, these pieces too, that are more focused on the external mm-hmm. rather than on like that deep internal work. And, um, and I would love to hear from you, like, for someone who is experiencing social anxiety, like what are like three tips or or three things that you would invite them into considering to start to shift where they are so that they can start to experience some healing, like the healing that you've been able to create in your life? Yeah, yeah. So I think this isn't a, this isn't a tip. I'll give, I will give three tips, but I think the most important thing that I can say to somebody who's experiencing social anxiety is that you are not alone and you're not broken. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, that's just something that's really important to know. And that's a message that I want everyone to, to fully understand and to accept is that it's totally okay to be where you are. Yeah. And it comes back to the roots of yoga, right? That you are already whole, like exactly Exactly. as you are. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, But when you have social anxiety, your brain is always trying to tell you that you're broken and, you know, there's something wrong with you and blah, blah, blah. Um, And that nobody else understands or nobody cares. Just all these things. Your brain is just always on overdrive trying to keep you small, which in actuality, what it's doing is trying to keep you safe. Yes. Um, That's a whole nother conversation. Um, the first tip that I would say is to really work on 
being kind to your nervous system, to find things that are soothing that you enjoy every single day, to really put it at the forefront of your focus and energy, to find things that help you just feel good and feel calm and feel soothed. And so for some people that might be, you know, a weekly massage or acupuncture, could be walks in nature. Um, it could be different types of meditation, yoga nidra, breath work, yin yoga, restorative yoga. Find something that you can just really dedicate yourself to, to being in it with the intention of soothing your nervous system. That is the most important thing that you can do. Um, the second thing that I would suggest is to become really curious about your thoughts. Uh, like I had mentioned, when you have social anxiety, your brain is always trying to tell you these really terrible things about yourself. And um, it's very easy to let those thoughts lead you down a dark path and to start to believe them. But if you can bring a sense of curiosity into what you're thinking, that can really be helpful. Can you give us an example of that, Katie? Yeah. So let's say that your brain, like once you look in the mirror and your brain is going to tell you, you look terrible today, right? You can either be like, you can either agree with that or you can be like, huh, that's interesting. That's interesting that I would think that just now. Mm. And so instead of reacting to that thought, you're becoming curious about that. Thought. Mm -hmm. There's always a choice. We always have a choice to either react and marry yourself to a thought or to think, hmm, that's interesting. And that sense of curiosity about your thoughts helps you to bring a distance between yourself and the thoughts that are not serving you. Yes. Does that make sense? It does. It makes me think of there's this um, this quote from Viktor Frankl. I don't know if you know it, but um, uh, which it goes um, that there's a space between uh, the, our reaction and response. Mm. Uh, and that, you know, when we let that space become bigger, it gives us the freedom to choose our response. And I often think of that, like, how do we just like, like create more spaciousness so that we can actually, actually see how we're responding to things. So yeah, that's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Because in this instance with social anxiety, it's easy to feel like it is you and you are yes. it. Yeah. But when you create that space between yourself and, and your thoughts, yourself and these reactions, then you start to realize I am a whole person who is experiencing social anxiety, but that social anxiety isn't who I am. I love and that you so, said that. Yeah, yeah. That is um one of the things like when in my early twenties, I was going through a really rough patch of anxiety and I remember that like someone pointing at that distinction to me that, you know, like, like to reframe it from like, I am someone with anxiety to, I am someone experiencing anxiety and like that changes it, you know, it, it really it does. does 
change it. That is just a part of you. It's not all of you. Yeah. Are you familiar with the term locus of control? I am, but I would love for you to explain it for all of our listeners. Yeah. So locus of control is huge when it comes to having social anxiety. So there are locus of control is basically this notion of how much control you believe that you have over the outcomes in your life, Mm -hmm. how much ownership you feel like you have over the direction that your life goes. And there are two types. There's internal and external. So if you have an internal locus of control, you feel like your actions and your decisions truly matter, that you have what it takes to make your life what it needs to be, and that your feelings and your experiences are really up to you to create and to mold and to change even your identity, your identity is yours. If you have an external locus of control, you basically put all of your power into everything around you. So it's the situations that you're in that make you feel a certain way. It's the people that you're around that make you be the person that you are. It's everything outside of yourself that dictates what your life becomes. And when you have social anxiety, you almost always have an external locus of control because you believe that your worth and your confidence and basically everything about you is dictated by how other people perceive you. Yeah. Or by what situation you're in. You know, like if I'm at home, then I am safe. But if I am at a doctor's office, I am unsafe. If I'm having a conversation with this person, then it's the conversation that makes me feel uncomfortable. Whereas if you have an internal locus of control, you're like, no matter where I am, I'm okay to be myself. Mm-hmm. No matter who I'm talking to, I get to choose how I feel. If I am feeling uncomfortable, I'm able to use tools and practices to change how I feel. Yeah. So it's incredibly important to start to notice that and to become curious about how you feel about the control that you have over your own life and how much power you're putting in towards other people or other situations or other things versus how much you feel like you have within you. Reclaiming our capacity and our agency and- Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when people say like, take your power back and you're like, what the hell does that even mean? Really, it's just about- reclaiming your locus of control and knowing that you have the power within you to make your life what you want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. And so I imagine for someone experiencing social anxiety, that could look like, for instance, maybe it's going to a gathering, but reminding oneself that like, I have the choice to leave at any moment in time. Or I have the choice to like remove myself and like go to the bathroom if I need a break or that like it's maybe training yourself in a way to start to notice the choices that you do have. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, it's reminding yourself, like I have the tools, I have what it takes within me to change how I feel. Mm -hmm. It's even saying something to yourself, like I'm experiencing social anxiety now but I know that with dedication and with practice and commitment, 
that I can take steps to change it. Yes. You know, it doesn't have to be this like great leap from like, I am, I am unworthy to like, I'm the most confident person in the room. You know, that's not, that's not ever the goal. It's just to say, even if I am feeling really uncomfortable and anxious right now, I know that I can do what I need to do to change it. Even if that means leaving, even if that means taking a break, it's those little steps of reclaiming your power to, you know, change and to shift your life in meaningful ways. Does that make sense? It does. Absolutely. And I think it really, um, I think that in and of itself can really help us maybe move from a place of overwhelm to one where we feel like there is more, that we do have more power and we do have more control. Um, yeah, I, I so appreciate you sharing that with us. So we had your your first two tips. The first was around finding things that are self-soothing and things that make us feel really good. That second tip around noticing our thoughts and and we also talked about noticing also what you can control and, and what what you know in your environments and and your choices. And what about your third tip? So my third is probably the most important. Okay. And that is practicing the belief that you will overcome it. Mm. That's it. It's really as simple as that. Like you don't have to know the how you don't have to know all of the steps that you need to take to, you know, get to the end of the journey to overcome your social anxiety. But the most important thing that you can do at this moment is to practice believing that you will overcome it Mm -hmm. and to really embody that, to feel what that feels like in your body. When you say those words to yourself, I believe I will overcome this. I believe I can overcome this. I know that I can overcome this. And what that does is it helps you to take that first baby step forwards. Yeah in knowing that you have the power, knowing that you have the potential, knowing that that potential is there for you and just practicing that belief over and over and over again and really feeling it into yourselves as you say it, you know, taking the time to feel what it feels like to just practice having power and to say to yourself, I'm going to do this. Yeah, yeah. And what I mean, what strikes me about these these three tips that you shared, of course, is that the three tips are are all are all focused on on us and our relationship with ourselves. Not even our relationship really with the world around us and with others, but all focused on healing our relationship with ourselves. Yeah. That's what social anxiety is. It has nothing to do with other people. Yeah. That's the really interesting thing to me is that, you know, social anxiety has nothing to do with anybody else and everything to do with your relationship with yourself Yeah, and your love for yourself and your acceptance of yourself as you are, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, just as you are, just exactly as you are. Yeah. That's, that's the thing to really focus on and to, and to heal and, 
you know, to embrace is just you being the youiest you that you can possibly be. Yeah. Yeah. And that we already are enough as we are. And yeah, yeah. that's, that's something that I think so many of us struggle with. So many of us struggle with. Yeah. I mean, the majority of us struggle with it, right? Yeah. It just, it rears its head in different ways for each of us. Yeah. And, you know, for, for people like me, it ends up rearing its head in, you know, relational ways with other people, mm-hmm. but just because it shows up that way in our lives doesn't mean that it's any different from the not enoughness that other people feel. Mm-hmm. We just see it. We just perceive it differently. You know, yeah. it just shows itself in these specific ways for us differently to other people, but at the heart of it, it's, it's the same. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think I was actually really fortunate to not know that what I had was social anxiety when I was in my journey of, of healing it and overcoming it. Because I think if I did, I think if I had that label, I would have become too attached to that label. I wouldn't mm-hmm. have been able to see what was really going on under the surface. And so I was really fortunate to start with the root of it and then to come out and be like, oh, that's that label that people use. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah. Now I'm curious for anyone listening who is like, oh, wow, this like they maybe really see themselves in your story and, and in what you're describing. And they're now trying on that label for size and feeling like, oh, yeah, that this sounds like it it could be me. Um, for someone who does now have this label, like I know what you were just sharing is it, it is still so important to get down to the root of it. And do you have any tips around that? I think putting a pen to paper is really, really helpful. And doing some journaling work is a good first step to do of really asking yourself, what are the thoughts that I have about myself? What are these beliefs that I have about myself? What is, what is the cause of this? Where did this come from? Was there somewhere in my life that kind of sparked all of this into motion? And while I think that, um, knowing your story is really important, that's another thing that it can be easy to kind of marry yourself to, to kind of give yourself excuses of like, oh, well, it's because I was bullied as a kid. And so therefore I'm broken. But in this case, if you're putting a pen to paper and you're trying to discover where all this came from and, and what beliefs you have about yourself, I would, I would encourage people to just be curious rather than to marry themselves to the why and the how. Yeah. You know what I mean? And to bring an element of compassion to yourself because it can be a really big self-discovery to, to figure this out about, about you and about who you are and why you are the way that you are. And so just write it out like actual, we'll take, take an actual pen and put it on paper and write out your thoughts and write out your story and bring compassion and forgiveness 
Yeah. I think that's, that's really, really valuable to do. That's so beautiful. And I love that you spoke to compassion. And I know one of the things that I actually recently started doing um, a few months ago was when I'm journaling, um, I always try and end it on a on a thought that feels both true yet positive. And even if it's just like a small shift, you know, but like mm. a thought that feels compassionate. And um, so even when I'm journaling and, and if it's, if it is maybe a day where there is a lot more negativity coming up in that moment, like what's a way that I can also then like bring, bring softness or, or bring gentleness or bring encouragement and even just that act of like, like sometimes I'll get near the end and I'll be like, okay, I, I want to end this on like a more empowering note. And, um, and it's, it's beautiful to like, to, I think that it's become a practice for me to be like, okay, where can I bring compassion right now? And so, yeah, that's something that I've been exploring. Yeah, that's really wonderful because it makes the practice something that is really useful and valuable and brings in like a lesson, you know, something that you can take with you um, rather than just kind of getting caught up in all of the stuff that you're writing down. It kind of leads it, it directs it into a really healthy place. Yeah, and it's not always like a huge lesson. Sometimes it's just like, I'm going to give myself grace today. But it's like, it's just like the act of like, you know, like in a way gently holding myself to this expectation that like I'm going to bring compassion at the end of it um, has like created its own kind of container. Yeah, which is neat. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love that idea. Yeah, yeah. I read it um, in a book actually from uh, Beth Wyatt. It's a book on sleeping and she takes a really beautiful perspective toward that really focuses on the nervous system towards sleep. And mm. she was talking about journaling before bed, but she was she was saying to always end it on a positive note. And I was like, yes, this makes so much sense. Of course. Um, it seems yeah. so obvious when you say it. It's I like, know, right? That was me when I was reading it. I was like, why don't people talk about this all the time? Like this, <laughs> like, like, and I was like, it's such a little thing. But then it, it, it just like, I was like, yes, we, we always should be talking about this. Yeah. Um, well, well, Katie, I am truly, I just feel, uh, my heart is just beaming with gratitude that you could be here with us today and, and be here to share so much of your story and, I mean, so many really beautiful tips for inviting us into this curious and compassionate relationship with ourselves and for healing. And I would just love as we like weave our way to this end of the conversation to know if there is anything else on your heart, anything that you um, feel called to, to share as we weave our way to the end of the episode. Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me here. This has just been an absolute joy and privilege to talk to you about this and um, to connect with you has been really, really special for me. If I can say anything, it would be to just practice accepting yourself as you are in the moment. Even if you're a hot mess, even if you're having a hard time, even if you're feeling anxious, even if you're feeling not enough, to just say to yourself, this is who I am right now and that's okay. 
this is happening right now and that's okay. Yeah. That's so powerful. Just that I think is, I mean, I often think it's the, the things that sound the simplest that can be so difficult. And I know that piece around acceptance, um, is simple yet, uh, a really deep and potent thing. So thank you yeah. for that really beautiful reminder. Yeah. yeah thank you for you're being welcome. here. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I am so grateful for Katie and sharing all of her incredible, potent insights with us today. I know I learned a lot. If you want to learn more from Katie, she does have a free workshop all about social anxiety. And you can find that at the socialanxietysolution.com slash free workshop. I'm wishing you the most beautiful rest of your day. And until we meet again, keep living with heart and wonder.